You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to weareredwood.org. We hope that the message that you're about to hear will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Praise the Lord for that. Children, you may be dismissed to Kids Church at this time. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to Mark chapter number 6. Mark chapter 6, I hope that you will pray in the next 20-30 minutes or so that God will uh, work in your heart uh, here this morning. My desire is uh, to be only a blessing to you, I promise you. Uh, I desire for the Word definitely to let its weight lay in on us, but uh, I promise you my, my, my heart all this week has uh, been to, to be a blessing, to be an encouragement. Definitely the, uh, the, the, word, will, the word will challenge us today. But I think that uh, if we will rest in uh, the grace that we find in Christ, it will be time well worth spent here this morning. Also, I hope if you've even thought about going to Israel at some point, just just come to a meeting. I promise you, you don't have to sign up for anything right away. You don't have to pay anything right away. Just come get some more uh, details. Uh, I have, over the last several years, have been very uh, desirous to do something like this. Uh, but I've always been I've always been kind of held back by fear. And I've known Kurt for many, many, many years, and I was encouraged many times to kind of reach out to him, and finally there was enough in our church that were asking about it. I, again, I kind of apologize for the timing of this, because some of you were kind of going on your own, uh, but just a lot of interest in our church, and so finally I reached out to him, and he said, Ryan, there's nothing to be afraid about. Uh, you don't have, because I always thought you'd have this massive group go, like we had to have a whole bus full. Uh, we don't. We can have uh, just, you know, smaller groups go. And then we can join in uh, with uh, with other groups. And so I hope that you'll I hope that you'll come to that meeting, and uh, I'll give you a few dates that uh, that are out there for 2020, and uh, one that is kind of more fits into at least uh, kind of pastoral church schedule. But uh, I will uh, let that up to you. But I hope that you'll come, and uh, we'll enjoy uh, that time. We'll start that meeting probably about eight to ten minutes after the service. So uh, don't just forget about it and go. If you do plan on staying. Uh, we'll let some people fellowship, we'll let the music continue to play, and then we'll gather right up here on this side about 10 minutes or so after the service. Mark chapter number 6, we're going to continue in our series entitled Jesus. As Mike mentioned, I've so enjoyed uh, going through this book with you, and I trust that today as we uh, kind of look at, again, the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, you saw that little clip in that video and can kind of uh, mentally prepare you for, but I promise you there's nothing like actually being on the Sea of Galilee in a boat and envisioning these stories, and it has been a tremendous blessing to me. But let's begin reading in verse number 45 of Mark chapter number 6. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and go to the other side before into Bethsaida while he sent away the people. Again, the people he's sending away, all of the thousands that were there from the feeding. They were there all day. He was teaching, preaching, and uh, they got hungry, and now it was time to feed them. So he's sending them away. He sends his disciples on a ship across the Sea of Galilee. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. Again, we're talking, they've been doing this for six, seven, eight hours. 
of just rowing in this tempest sea of wind against them. Verse 49, but when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and called out. For they all saw him and were troubled. Immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And he went up into, uh, unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. This morning I want to preach a message entitled, Faith or Simply Amazement? Faith or Simply Amazement? Let's ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, we come before you. And Lord, I believe our hearts are hungry to learn and to be shaped into what you desire for us to be in our lives. Lord, we've come here to worship. And what a it's been a while since we've sung that song and it just ministered to me. And yet, so often we think that the worship is only when we're standing or sitting and singing or someone is singing unto us like Jessica just did. And Lord, we, uh, we, we fail to realize that worship is a 24-7 thing. And God, we're worshiping right now. Are we going to worship You and Your Word and hear it being taught and apply it to our lives? Or are we going to worship ourselves and be thinking about something else or excusing ourselves from the text and the weight of it? And Lord, that we'll be worshiping again in a moment here when we take an offering. But God, we come before You and Lord, we're desiring for You to work. I submit to Your sovereignty. I submit to Your power this morning and work in a way that Lord will be pleasing unto You. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We said last week, if you were here this morning and you are a believer of any kind, you've been washed with the blood of Jesus Christ, you've been forgiven by His grace and mercy, you have been called unto a radical way of living. And that radical way of living is the life of faith. And you and I, we've got to, again, we've got to, we've got to kind of understand that the faith is not so natural for you and for me. Uh, doubt and anxiety, the things that we've been studying at 10 o'clock, uh, that is natural for you and for me. For us looking over the fence and seeing how other peoples are being blessed and how they're living, on, honestly, that is what is natural for us. Wanting a predictable week with no storms and no difficulties of any kind is what is natural for us. Leaning into our own wisdom, our own experience, our own strength is natural to us. But faith, it's not always natural. It's counterintuitive to what we often live like. It's, it's radically different, and it's you and I have been called to live by faith. And I want us to ponder the question that we asked ourselves last week. How is it that God crafts us into people of faith? You and I, we're called to live by faith. We're commanded to live by it. And yet, I think if we're honest, we so often we tend to lean towards more of the doubt, more of the anxiety, the more of the struggle of our lives. And so, how does God do it? How does He make us into people who do not just live by our own experience or personal or collective wisdom, but instead live by faith? And as I said last week, and I'll definitely hone in this week on it, there's a huge difference between amazement and faith. A huge difference. I told you last week about how my brother and I grew up going to Magic Mountain and there was this ride that you had to pay extra for. It was called the slingshot. They would put you in this harness and this, uh, this robot kind of thing would begin to pull you back 
And then they would just, when you weren't ready for it, you know, like when you like coughed or blinked or something, they would, and it would shoot you off into the sky. And I stood there as a boy just in amazement of thinking, man, I would never ride that. Why? Because I wasn't willing to put my faith into that uh, machine and that it would catch me and all those different types of things. But I stood there in amazement. And if you read the Gospels, you, you know that the disciples were not naturally men of faith. And you see Christ again and again bring them into situations and into difficulties to bring about a revelation of His glory, a revelation of a new way of living, a revelation of His mighty power. It was to alter the paradigm with which they were living their lives. And so as we saw last week, the disciples once again here in Mark 6, they find themselves in a moment of difficulty. They're trying to get across the Sea of Galilee. They're facing the impossible winds and the, uh, the angry seas. It's dangerous. It's exhausting. It's futile. It's why are we doing this? However, the disciples, they are, as we saw last week, exactly, hear me, they are exactly where Jesus wants them. Verse 45, and straightway, He constrained His disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while He sent away the people. Let me ask you a quick question. Does Jesus know everything, yes or no? Eh, does He know everything, yes or no? He does. He's all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent. So as Jesus was on that hillside praying later in the text, He's also in the boat there with the disciples. He's omnipresent. He's all-powerful. And He's all-knowing. And So He knew what was going to happen when He sent those disciples across the Sea of Galilee. Now when you read that and you see that, 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 that this was going to happen, you know, you know the whole story. You begin to ponder. You begin to think, why would God... Why would Jesus place His disciples in a situation like this? Why would He put them in this kind of mess? Why would He put them in this kind of danger? And as I said last week, and I will say it again before you, it's okay to ask those questions. It's okay to lean in on the text. It's okay to grapple with the difficulty that Jesus would sometimes lead His disciples into. Why He would place them in a situation that was beyond their wisdom beyond their ability and strength. Why? I thought God was a God of love. I thought He was a God of grace. I thought He was a God of compassion and power and mercy. God will often take you where you've not intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. We said that last week. and We looked heavily into this text. And we just kind of, we, we, we kind of, grappled with that a little bit. God will put you into a situation to shape you, to work on you, to sanctify you. Because here's the reason why He does that. Because you and I would not sign up for it. You and I would say, hey, you know what? I want a week of shaping. I want a week of difficulty. None of us would sign up for that. And yet Jesus will place us into these situations. And you know what the Bible calls that? Grace. He calls it grace. But it's not the grace of relief. It's not the grace of uh, 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 release. We get that t- at times, but more often than not, it is the grace of radical transformation, of heart refinement. And you and I, we understand that grace sometimes gives us a soft pillow. Sometimes it gives us a cool drink, but not always. Sometimes it gives us a 
hardship. Sometimes it gives us a difficulty. And you and I, as believers that are living in a fallen world, living in a broken world, with still broken bodies, with still experiencing sin, you and I need to be well-versed in the ministry that God uses of called uncomfortable grace. We talked about that last week. You and I, we need to be skilled with talking with one another about this. Why? Because that's so often what your life and my life is like. And so if you are a child of God, if you are a Christian here, you and I, we cannot look at the difficulties of our life and see them as signs of God's unfaithfulness to us. Don't do that. You must not allow you to bring God, as I said last week, into the courtroom of your judgment where you will base His goodness, His care, and His love. Do not listen to the lies of Satan that begins to say, hey, can you even... Can you even see Him? Is He even hearing your prayers? You cannot ask this question. Will God lavish His grace down on me? Don't ask yourself that question. It's the wrong question. Because He always is. The right question is, is will you recognize it when it comes? Will you recognize that grace in the midst of your storm and in the midst of your difficulty. Jesus is always wanting to bring change. Our text tells us this amazing thing that He's up on the hillside and He sees the men toiling down in the sea. They're just rowing for hours and hours and hours and hours. Can you imagine how discouraging that would be? I mean, just the wind and the angry sea. They've been doing it for like six, seven, eight hours and they're still in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus could have said, be done, right? Didn't he do that already? Peace be still. Didn't he already do that? But no, he doesn't do that. Instead, Jesus begins to walk from that hillside to walk in the middle of the pitch black dark night into that storm, into the headwinds, into that sea. Why? Because he wasn't after the difficulty. Hear me. He wasn't after just trying to make it easy for him. He was after them. He was wanting them to change. Jesus is always after change. Here's what you and I want. We want the change of the circumstance, right? Come on, right? God, why would you walk up? God, why, 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 why? Those are legitimate questions. And I want to say they are okay questions in and of themselves. But it ought to morph into, will I recognize this grace when it comes? even in its difficult formats. We see in verse number 48, and would have passed by them, but when they saw Him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and they cried out. Now Jesus has begun this walk. He's coming down. He's walking on the sea. They see Him. And these men, they're not relieved. In fact, rather than being encouraged, the Bible tells us here that they're terrified. They think that they see a spirit, or or the way you and I would say today, they think that they see a ghost. These guys, hear me, they're totally unprepared for this moment. And here's the reason why. Because it's not the first time that they've ever been in a difficulty. I mean, that's why I say that they're unprepared. As well, this isn't the first time that they've ever seen Jesus Christ do something glorious. They've seen Him raise a girl up that was dead. They've seen him heal a woman that had an issue of blood for 12 years. He, they'd just literally seen him feed 5,000 plus people with a little boy's lunch. They'd seen it all. 
They had been amazed by it. But they were totally unprepared. And they were expressing such fear. Why? Now let me ask you some tough questions. You ready? When difficulty comes your way again and again, what do you do? Do you freak out again? Do you begin to wonder, God, do you care? Do you love? Why is this happening all over again? Why is my life so hard again? Where's God? Is he even is he even hearing my prayers? Do you? Be honest with yourself. And let's not so be so hard on these disciples. Because Ryan's not always learning the lessons either. And I can probably bank on the fact that nor are you because of the questions that you ask in your storm and in your futile, seems like futile efforts in your life. I'm afraid there are many of us in this room that are kind of in this moment. We're better at seeing ghosts than Jesus. We get ourselves all discouraged. We get ourselves all paralyzed and immobilized all over again as if we had never seen God's glory revealed in the past. We're all here. We're all well fed. We're all well clothed. Listen, we've, we've made it through. Yet what happens in my life and what happens so often in your life is that another difficulty comes and it's like, what's going on again? Now what happens next in this text is beautiful. And the reason why is because at this moment when the disciples, when they, when they, just, when they just don't get it, Jesus doesn't scream at him. Jesus doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't say, hey, you know what? I've, I, I, I've had it. You guys have had so many opportunities to learn. You've seen me do amazing thing after amazing thing. You literally saw me calm the storm. You know what? When we get to land, I'm done with you. I'm going to get myself some new disciples. That's not what he does. That's not what he does. And he doesn't. Because Jesus and God is so marvelous in his grace. He is so perseverant and patient with disciples like us. He's awesome. Jesus is not going to relent until that grace has completed its work in your life. And Jesus says to his disciples, hear me, while the wind is still whipping, while the, well, well, while the sea would have still been roaring, he is speaking unto them in verse number 50. And they saw him and were troubled, and immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good courage, it is I, be not afraid. They think they're seeing a ghost, someone walking on water, hello. This amazing glory being displayed once again for these disciples. They think it's a ghost. They go back to their old paradigm way of seeing things. And God doesn't rebuke them. Instead, He says, be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. Now, it's, it's hard to see this in the, in the English translation. 
But Jesus is actually in this text here, he's taking on one of the names of God. Jesus, he's literally, this is so awesome. What he's saying to his disciples, he's saying, hey, hey, don't you understand? The I am is with you. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the one whom all of the covenant promises rest The one who literally is the same yesterday and today and forever. The one, the I am, that holds all of the universe in the palm of his hand. The one who the entire hopes of the universe rests. The I am, he's saying, is here. He's saying, hey, 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 men, your life right now is being invaded by the I am of all of eternity. That, my friend, is called a paradigm shift. Wind is still whipping. Waves are still crashing. And he's saying, hey, listen, if you actually believe that your life has been invaded by the I am, you will not ever live the same again. Be not afraid. Moms and dads, get some moms and dads in here, right? When you're at the end of one of those rough parenting days, hey, you know one of those days when it seems like your kids got together in the morning and said, hey, your hour is this hour, and then I got the next hour all throughout the day, and they're just going to make it just crazy, right? Anybody feel like that? Yeah? And then now you're getting ready to put your head on the pillow, and they're screaming and fighting in the room. Hey, listen, as you're walking down that hallway you better believe you've been fully equipped with the I am, you're never alone, Jesus is with you. Absolutely, this applies to your everyday life. When you're you're facing something in your marriage that is disappointing, maybe it's even heartbreaking, it's something that you thought that you would never have to go through, and you better say to yourself, I'm not alone. The I am has invaded my life by His grace. When an executive in a city that maybe you'll never visit or the man that you'll ever know makes some financial decisions for the company and that means that that is your job being lost. They're cutting you. And you're on your way home. You better remember that the I am has invaded your life. And you are not alone. When you're facing the disloyalty in a relationship and it has broken your heart. And you wake up every morning and you're greeted with like this pit in your stomach. Have you ever been there? Oh, was I reminded this week of one of those. You know what you need to remind yourself of? I'm not alone. The covenant God has invaded us by His grace. When you're experiencing unexpected physical sickness and your body seems weaker than it's ever seemed and you live with fear of not knowing what tomorrow may be, you had better say to yourself, the I am has invaded my life by His grace and I'm not alone. When you're facing the difficulties of old age and death is scary and physical health is not as easy as it as it used to be you better say to yourself as you pillow your head tonight that i the i am has invaded my life by his grace see what you need to see in this text is is that grace 
is not just about past forgiveness or future hope. It is about right now. We had better believe and embrace the nowism of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That the I am, that God Himself incarnate in Jesus Christ has invaded your life and you and I, unlike the disciples, at least to this point yet, you have His Spirit with you every moment of every day saying, this is grace. Oh, it is difficult, but it is grace. I am, I've got you in mind. I'm shaping you something that you would never sign up for. I want to craft in you the beauty of my redemption. And then we see what happens next. Jesus, He finally gets in the boat. I mean, these, these guys have been doing this for hours. Just rowing and rowing. He, he sees them afar off. And rather than just fixing the situation, He begins to take a walk. He begins to walk on those seas. And to kind of prove a point, he's kind of, I believe He's kind of arching around them so, that, so they all can see Him. And He would have just walked by if they hadn't seen Him. And they see Him and they see a ghost and says, hey, it's I. I'm here. Don't be afraid. And we see in verse number 51, and when he went up with them into the ship, the wind ceased. wasn't until then. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. Now listen, this is not actually a compliment. Because this is one of the places where Mark can't resist kind of his editorial comments. He explains that they're amazed, and I'll get to that more in a moment here, but there is a huge difference between amazement and faith. Amazement is essentially something that you do with your brain. Let me define it for you here. Amazement is being taken beyond the categories that you have to define or explain something. That's amazement. You, know, you, can't, you, can't, you can't quite explain it. You don't have the terms, so to speak. And you're like, that was amazing. You're amazed at something. Faith is a commitment of your heart to a reality that changes the way you live. It's a commitment of your heart to a reality that changes the way you live. So in that moment when your kids are driving you nuts, you're not alone. In that marriage that is a full difficulty at the moment, you are not alone. In that job loss, you are not alone. In that health scare, you are not alone. In that relational issue, you are not alone. It is a reality of the heart that changes the way that you live. You no longer are seeing the circumstances. You're no longer being just amazed by the difficulties. Instead, you walk into those situations moment by moment and day by day saying, hey, my life's been changed. The great I am is in me and I can move forward in this. There's a significant difference between simple amazement and faith. You can be amazed at the preaching that you hear every Sunday and not be living by faith. You can be in, in, enthralled with the worship here at Redwood. And Pastor Mike, thank you for the prayer and the time that you spend into it. I know how much time he spends into it. 
preparing. You can be amazed by that, but not be living by faith. You can be amazed by the grand redemptive story from Genesis to Revelation that's all about Jesus and not live by faith. You can be amazed by the Word of God in and of itself and not be living by faith. You can be amazed by the love that we experience of our home group. I'd encourage you to come. Starts up again this Wednesday and not be living by faith. There's a profound difference between amazement and faith. And these guys, they, they shouldn't have been amazed. This for them should not have been a moment of amazement. It should have been a moment of faith. And Mark tells you why. Verse 52, For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their hearts were hardened. These men, often like Ryan, let's not, let's not stand too far away from this text. They still had not learned the lesson. These miracles of Jesus, they, they absolutely reveal His compassion to release people from their situation. Definitely. But it's much more than that. The miracles were actually there to teach the Gospel. Jesus in the miracles is redefining who these people are and what they need. Jesus is confronting people with their inability their lack of wisdom with His ability and with His wisdom. The miracles were simply sermons that perpetually preached the Gospel. That Jesus is the ultimate provider. That Jesus is the bread of life. It is only when you consume Him, so to speak, by faith that your heart will truly be satisfied. But the Bible tells us that they were not learning these lessons because their heart was hardened. Anybody asleep? I'm just kidding. I would never do that. Whew, joking. I don't know if that will come through on the internet, but that's funny if you could have seen it, right? Stone. Another word for a hardened heart is a, you read it in scriptures, would be a stony heart. Now, I've, I've been working out lately. I really have. I know you can't see it, but I have been. Mike has too. But you know what? And it's no matter how... <clears throat> No matter how hard I squeeze this rock, I'm not the rock, right? You know, like, you know, Dwayne Johnson, oh, Jesus, he's the rock. But Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson, he calls himself the rock. Nothing I can do. I, I, I'm trying. I'm trying to, trying to squeeze it. I'm trying to, trying to break it somehow. But the picture, the picture of a stony heart or the picture of a hardened heart is the picture of one, hear this, who is resistant to change. Remember what Jesus is all about. He's about change. You say, where's the evidence? Genesis to Revelation. Change. Jesus shows up, change happens. But a hardened heart, a, a stony heart, they're, they're resistant to change. They want God to change all the scenarios, but we don't want God to change us. Hard things are resistant. Soft things, I don't have anything soft up here, is, you know, it, it's malleable. Soft things are moldable. And so the disciples, they were resistant to change. And Mark and Luke and John and Matthew, later on when they repend the kind of the events that they were going through they with honesty i appreciated their honesty and their candor they said ah we didn't get it 
because we were too satisfied. We didn't, we, we didn't want the change. We, you know, we, were, we were satisfied with, with who we were. I mean, that's kind of what they're saying. We didn't, we didn't understand. We, our hearts were hardened. We didn't see what God was trying to teach there. They were satisfied, and they did not cry out with hunger personally for change. Now, I do not think that the big crisis for the church of Jesus Christ is a dissatisfaction. I think we are all too easily satisfied. And because we are satisfied, we do not hunger for change. And so we do not learn well. We do not take in. We do not meditate on the lessons that a faithful Redeemer is giving us again and again and again. Please look at your last seven days and see where a faithful gracious, uncomfortable, gracious God is using lesson after lesson to change you. Yesterday afternoon, we were here. We were working on some things. And I got the news of someone that lied about me. Have you ever been lied about? Kind of just, right? And poor Mike. Poor Mike. <laughs> he's back there. He's working on slides for me or whatever it was. I think he was queuing up that video or trying to get it to work. I was ripped. I, was, I, I walked up here to the baptistry for something and it wasn't there. And I, I came back and, and the, the video wasn't working. And literally, we tried to download it, hence why we kind of had issues today. And it didn't, I mean, it literally had been like 30 or 40 minutes ago. And I'm like, Mike, why didn't he? He goes, and it failed. And I was just like, and I was, I was not mad at him. He probably thought I was mad at him. But man, was I mad. And I was just like, I'm not mad at you. And I just walked down and I went to my office and had like a three, four, five minute pity party. Come on, please. I'm not the only one, right? Right? And the Holy Spirit of God was like, Ryan, your heart's like this right now. I'm trying to break you. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to mold you right now. And Ryan, what other people think of you does not matter. Man, I was just, I was broken over it. Mike, as lovingly as a friend he is, he tried to come in. He's like, Pastor, what is this? I was like, I can't right now. I was like, I got to bear this one on my own. I can't. And he, just again, I mean, just the right answer is like, Pastor, whenever you're, whenever you're available or whenever you're ready, I'm here. And I said, thanks, bro. I love you. Thank you. A couple minutes later, I pop over to his office and I tell him and, you know, listen, what lessons? I almost want to end right now. But what lessons is God trying to mold you with? It's grace. See it for what it's worth. I believe Blake was turning, I believe it was his second Christmas. So it would have put him at one, going to be two in a couple months, and we wanted to get him the perfect Christmas present. You know, so we started talking about it. I mean, you know, he's not a baby anymore. We don't want anything that makes noise. Amen? All right, some of you that have little babies, we give you noisy toys. We don't want any more of those. I was like, yeah, what are we, so we going to get? What are we going to get? And so I'm like, man, it's time for him to start playing like with some cars, right? Some trucks. And I believe it was a red truck. I'm not a, 
I'm not 100% sure. And we worked really hard. We thought, yeah, th- th- this is going to be it. This is going to be this is going to be the toy that, uh, that, that, that he loves. Because, you know, previously, we've even got video of it. He'd open up a present, and then he would just, like, play with the wrapping paper, right? You know, just, well, why do we even spend money? So this is, good, th- th- this is going to be the thing. You know, he's going he's gonna to really, he's going to want this toy. This is going to be great. This is going to be the gift of all gifts. And so we get this, I believe it was a red truck, and uh, we, we wrap this thing, and more like Sarah or Danielle wrapped it. I'm a horrible wrapper, and I let them do it all. I'm, I'm, I'm like the bag type, you know? You go by the bags and the tissue paper, it does itself. Anyone of you like that? Okay, a couple of you appreciate you fellas in here. All right, um, and so, but Sarah wrapped it or something like this, somebody did, and Christmas morning came, and we were super excited. And he opens up that, I believe it was a red truck, and he looks at it, and we open up the box for him, and you know, and he was just like, oh, this is amazing. And something grabbed my attention. I can't remember what it was. And, and I came back. And you know what he was playing with? He wasn't playing with that truck. He was playing with a box. He was trying to get into the box. I mean, it was the cutest thing in the world. But he was, trying, he, was, he was trying to get into the box. And maybe you're wondering, Ryan, when in the world are you telling us this cute family story at the end of the sermon? Because you've been given the most amazing gift that you've ever been given. And it's the gift of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm persuaded that in the face of being given that gift, many of us would be more content simply playing with the box. We're content with just a little bit of theological knowledge, a little bit of Bible knowledge. We're content with Sometimes a faith that shines out into the world during the week. We're content with moments of ministry, a little bit of money in the offering plate. But we're not in deep sadness, personal sadness, that we don't celebrate the gift anymore. That we don't celebrate the grace, that it doesn't, that it doesn't get us, woo, in the morning to get up and realize that no matter what I'm facing that day, I have been blessed with the I am invading my life. My prayer is that you and I would love the gift of grace. That it would no longer just be a part of our life. That it would be the thing that completely redefines our lives. But sadly, many of us, myself included, are content to play with the box. There's a profound difference between amazement in faith. So what about you? We've rolled into the afternoon. You've listened so well. I'm so thankful for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you are this afternoon and you're a believer and you've trusted the forgiving grace of God. You've experienced this awesome radical love and mercy and compassion. But you still run from the uncomfortable hands of Jesus' uncomfortable grace. Maybe you still question the goodness and the love and the care of God when you are in the storms of life. Maybe there's times when you hold on to the box instead of the gift. There are times when you're filled up where you fill up your schedule with other pursuits and you have little time to celebrate this amazing Jesus that's your gift. You have little time to hold on to and to meditate on the gift of grace. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. 
if that brings guilt into your life, you're missing it. You're missing it. Because you and I, we do not have to hide in fear. You and I, we do not have to uh, be, be, be afraid of, of God because you know what God's done? God has harnessed all of the forces of all of creation and all of nature to show you that He loves you. He is before the foundation of the world prepared a way for His Son to walk this earth, to be brutally beaten and to be killed by His own creation out of their hatred on the cross. And it'd be the expressed image of God's love for you. He would live a life that you could not live and He would die a death that you should have died. And He rose again three days later with the power to conquer the areas in your life so that you can receive the grace, so you can receive the mercy in time of need that the author of Hebrews says. I don't know if you've you've thought about this or not, but the deepest moment of suffering of Jesus on your behalf, it wasn't the physical part of it. The deepest moment of suffering on Jesus was the relational side of it. As He bore your sin, and as He bore my sin, it came to the place where God the Father literally forsook His own Son, literally turned His back on His own Son. And Jesus, while on that cross, He says, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? And Jesus went through that so you would never see the back of God's head again. Jesus went through that so you'd never be forsaken. Jesus went through that so you literally can run to him today. Not from him in shame. Not from him in guilt. When your, when your wavering faith is exposed, man, mine was this week and is right now. Don't run from him. Don't fight him. Don't fight the difficulty. Instead, become well equipped with uncomfortable grace that is indeed grace. Don't ask, God, where is it? Instead ask, help me to perceive it. Heads bowed, eyes closed.